Hello friends, it's Jim Nance and it's my great pleasure to welcome you to Beyond the Clubhouse, a podcast hosted by my friend Garrett Johnston. He is a testament to one of the great things about this sport, the friendships that come from playing or even just talking about the game. And you're going to meet some of the characters that Garrett has gotten to know from this past decade plus that he's been covering the sport. You're going to hear from players, caddies, members of the media. You're going to get the storytelling, the golf news, the players' swing tips, and a whole lot of laughs. It's coming your way with this edition of Beyond the Clubhouse. Here's Garrett. All right, Jim Nance, thank you as always for the introduction. And what a FedEx Cup playoffs we got going on here now after the TPC Boston there. And the Northern Trust finishes up. Dustin Johnson, 11-shot win. Pretty darn impressive, of course. He is at number one. Justin Thomas, number two. Webb Simpson, number three. Daniel Berger's at number four now. And Colin Morikawa, number five. Harris English, number six. Bryson DeChambeau gets to seven, falls back a couple. And Sungjae Im, number eight. John Rahm, number nine. And Patrick Reed at number ten. That's your top ten in the standings. DJ with a huge win. So much, of course, 11 strokes is pretty impressive. Listen, here's my take with Dustin. I am impressed with that win that you never see 11 shot wins. It just doesn't happen. But if you look at when it really matters with Dustin in the major championships, outside of Oakmont, he has struggled in big moments. My point is in big moments, in majors and in the FedEx Cup, he has struggled and not performed for, for his talent. It's unbelievable talent. I'm, I'm a huge fan of Dustin Johnson. But he has not stepped up to the plate and and delivered. And, you know, what Brooks Kepka said at the PGA Championship, there's some truth to it. Brooks has capitalized more than Dustin in, in big moments. Of course, in majors is what he was talking about there. But still, look at the FedEx Cup. When Dustin Johnson had the best chance to win the FedEx Cup 2016, he was the co-leader going into Sunday. He was already the number one going into the week, right? And he shot three over on Sunday and lost it to Roy McIlroy. I mean, that was with all the pressure, and he shoots three over. I mean, that's that's something. I mean, you can't dismiss a round like that. That's, that's significant. And also in the majors, he's the first player ever to blow his first four 54-hole major championship leads. That just, of course, happened the last time being the PGA Championship earlier this month. Listen, when he won at Oakmont, that was phenomenal stuff. That 54-hole leader was actually Shane Lowry, if you remember. So he came back in that case. But as the leader, when he's been the guy on Sunday in the biggest moments, major championships, and at the FedEx Cup events, specifically 2016, DJ has not delivered. And He's left hardware on the table. That's the point that I'm making. And, and I, of course, I'm I, a lot, I'm getting some criticism for tweeting about that. But you know what? I, I get it. I mean, Dustin's a great player. There should be people coming to his aid as well. But the bottom line is he has left hardware on the table. You can't argue with that. So that's my opinion there. Of course, my next guest, really good guy, Mark Immelman, golf commentator, broadcaster, golf teacher, Columbus State director of golf. He's done so much for this game. You're going to love listening to him and his insights about Dustin. We get into that a little bit about where Dustin fits in terms of his ceiling. And also, I asked him point blank what he thinks about some of the shortcomings in majors and in the FedEx Cup. So we get into that as well. Tiger, Tiger Woods, of course, so much we'll get into with Mark Immelman here. We'll get straight to it on Beyond the Clubhouse. 
All right, pleased to have my next guest, Mark Immelman, golf broadcaster. He's a golf teacher, of course, director of golf there, Columbus State University. This guy is doing everything, wearing all kinds of hats, and uh, coming off 11 straight PGA Tour events he's covered. I mean, being on the ground for seven of them, Mark, and four, obviously, in the studios in Orlando. First of all, how, how are you doing after a long stretch, and, uh, and what's happening these days? I'll be honest, Nathan, you've worked in the CBS television compound. It's a lot of folks were on fumes. Um, it's been a long time of it, but it's been exhilarating. I mean, to be a part of that crew that basically brought the PGA tour back and, and, and showed it off was, was like a dream come true. Um, to be at the forefront of sports returning to television. You know, that, that was, that was a great thrill as well. And it, it's been a crazy time. It's been a rewarding time. It's been some incredible storylines. I mean, it made for great television a lot, a lot of times. And and the folks behind the scenes, you know, I, I get to hold a microphone and a pine and sort of describe some of the action. But the folks behind the scenes just were, it was a superhuman effort by all of them. So, so we're all sort of excited. Everyone's looking forward to some time off. Um, the Masters, obviously, in November is, is, is almost right around the corner now. But it's been a great time. It really has. Yeah, and so much has happened. Of course, Daniel Berger winning the first event in a playoff over Colin Morikawa. So much has happened. What really stands out to you in these 11 weeks? Because there's been some big moments. Of course, Tiger came back Memorial. Rom became number one. There are some big highlights, and you've been behind the scenes. What's really standing out as you sit back now? You know what? It's, it, it's, it's hard to pick because I'll tell you what I'll do if that's cool with you and help me if I miss an event and because they're all kind of blurred. You know, Colonial was just special. You know, Ben Hogan's place coming back there, opening up the season again in Fort Worth, I think was awesome. And, and watching Colin Morikawa, you know, have a putt to win there and then get beaten in the playoff by Daniel Berger. That was a great story for Daniel. Um, because he'd been injured for a while. So that was exciting, but it was nice to see Colin sort of show off who he was. And then we went to Hilton Head and, and to watch Webb Simpson do Webb Simpson sort of stuff. You know, me, the golf junkie and me, um, that was really cool because it's a power game right now, but Webb got to a place where, you know, he could show off his wares a little bit and shoot that final round where he kind of dusted the field. It was lots of fun. And then, from there was the Travelers. I was in the Golf Channel studios for that. Uh, Dustin was impressive, as he ordinarily is. And then after Travelers, what did we have? We had, um, I'm now blanking. Help me, Will. Help me. What came after the Travelers? Well, we had those two events at Jack's Place, but I'm trying to think if there was one before the workday. Oh, it was uh, DeChambeau winning. Um, oh, in Detroit. Yeah. yeah, well, well look, I mean, forgive me, for, yeah, forgive me for... Uh, for forgetting that in Detroit, the, the Rocket Mortgage Tournament, because any any event that goes to Donald Ross plays to me as rates. And and Bryson at that stage was grabbing all of the headlines with the change of the body and the power of the tee and, and doing Bryson sort of golf. So that was fun. And then we had 3M, you know, it's always great, Minneapolis out there. And then we go into that stretch, a um, couple in Dublin, Ohio, um, watching Marikawa hold that putt on top of JT, making that 50-footer, that was nuts. And then winning in the playoff, uh, it's just been great. And then Ram chipping in there on 17, all only to find out in the memorial that the ball had moved and he was penalized too, but that worked out okay and he becomes number one. Then Memphis 
Memphis is one of my favorite events. I, I love um, Southwind. I love Memphis. Uh, the FedEx is such a great sponsor of the tour. And, and that was a thrilling finish there too with Justin Thomas and Brooks Kepka and, and Dustin making a run there. And then, of course, we go to uh, the PGA Championship. A great golf course, San Francisco, Marikawa doing just a, you know, something that people would expect, expected of him. But it's just so hard to come through. And, and what, we were five or six wide at one stage coming down the stretch over there, and he separated himself. So that, that, was, that was, for me, was a highlight, I would say, because it was a major championship. But since then, I mean, what a way to finish this little run with CBS at the Northern Trust, because 30 under par, I mean, that's insane what Dustin Johnson did. Uh, at one stage, I was there involved on the Friday afternoon call in the Golf Channel show, and I joined Dustin on 10. At this stage, he's 10 under par through 10 holes, which is just insanity. When does that happen? My God. Exactly. And then he birdies 11. And now we're all calculating. This guy could shoot like 56 or something stupid. And he pars in for 60, which it's hard to believe that 60 could be disappointing. But anyway, I mean, the guy parlays that into 30 under par and basically wins at a canter. So many, many storylines. It's hard to separate them all. Um, the opening event was special for many reasons for me, but watching Marikawa win around a great golf course to earn his first major at the PGA was, I would say that stands out. Mm. And, and I'd love to revisit some of these younger guys, get your thoughts on, on who's, who are we seeing next after Morikawa. Uh, but before we do that, you mentioned Dustin Johnson and we talked about a guy that deserves to be talked about 11 shot win just tonight here on Sunday night in Boston. What are, do you see when you see Dustin Johnson? What is his ceiling? What really strikes you about the player that you saw on Sunday? Well, I think he was performing at his ceiling this week, to be honest with you. I mean, that was just virtuoso. To to think of how he parlays that power off the tee was very accurate off the tee too. And then, you know, he turned the driver into the weapon with some sensational ball striking with the irons. And, you know, ball striking is only as good as what you convert. And he was great in the greens. And, and he seemed very poised. It looked like he was playing with... Maybe not a chip on the shoulder, but he he, he he had a point to prove maybe, you know, because for the longest time, you know, folks were playing hot potato with the world's number one ranking there. And and Dustin wasn't really in the conversation, but he's a thoroughbred. And, and, and he should be in the conversation all of the time, even though he might not be the number one guy. So I think he just came out there with an axe to grind and a bit of a point to prove. And he showed folks that, he is for real. And, and when the game is on points, I don't want to say he has no equal because there's so many talented golfers out there like Rory and Justin and, and Ram and Brooks, you, you name them all. But Justin, uh, Dustin is special when he gets going. And we saw that this week. What do you make when, I, when we talk about Dustin? There's so many strengths. But when I look at him, I, I would... I'm not trying to be too critical, but there is a lot he has left on the table when it comes to major championships on Sunday. We saw uh, he's the first player to go the first four majors. His four 54-hole leads did not convert. Remember when he won at Oakmont, it was Shane Lowry's 54-hole lead. So he's 0 for 4 and 54-hole leads on Sundays at majors under the pressure of a, a major championship. And then, of course, his best shot in the FedEx Cup 2016 he was the co-leader going in, and he shot three over at Eastlake in that crucial final round, and he lost it. So what do you make of his shortcomings, if you will, on 
big Sunday stages? Um, you know, it's hard to say their shortcomings because the tour is so deep. And, and, and when the margins are as fine as what they are many times, it could just be one bad shot or one bad bounce. And it's hard to grade a guy's career maybe on a missed putt when it meant something or a missed drive when it meant something. So, so, so I'm loath to do that. But I know this for certain, you know, Jack Nicklaus has got 18 wins in majors and he's got umpteen runners-up. I mean, what's it, 30, he's got 30-something runner-up, runners-up, I think it is. Forgive me if I get the number wrong. So I don't think Jack would tell you those were failures. And then you think of someone like a, a David Duval, for argument's sake, who will go, go down as one of the greats of all time. He was long critiqued for the fact that he didn't finish. And then when he did, it was emphatic. And he was a guy that shot 59 in the final round to win. It wasn't major, but he showed that he could do it. And then, of course, I think the, the, the big one out of all of them is Phil Mickelson. Remember how long Phil was the guy who couldn't finish? Till age and, 34. Yeah, exactly. And then he suddenly finished at the Masters, and then all of a sudden he assembles five of those. So Dustin's still young. He's still fit. He's in great shape. You, you know, I... I I'd like to answer that question maybe when he's 48 or nine <laughs> and, uh, and see how things are. But right now, he's a guy that's got all the weapons, puts himself into contention, and that's all you can really do in the end. Yeah. Well, speaking of putting yourselves in contention, there are so many young players, and you alluded to this, six and even seven at one point sharing the lead at the PGA Championship on Sunday, trolling for their first major. Of course, Morikawa broke through and got it. Who else do you really – to you stands out as maybe being a younger player that could win a major very, very soon. Oh goodness. I mean, the list is long. People don't realize Sung JM is so young. You know, people don't realize Bryson DeChambeau is so young. I mean, all of the, these 20 something, some things come out so young and they appear so mature. Like, like Morikawa has got an old head on young shoulders in the biggest way. Um, you know, obviously I would say of that crew, he's the top of the class. But for me, young nowadays is, you know, if you're sub 40, you know, it used to be on the tour, you know, if you were a 40 year old, you were like old, but now, you know, 30 is the new 20 kind of thing. And, and these youngsters are coming out fit, fast, you know, fearless, and their careers are, are, are long. So for me, I look at all these guys and I'm like, wow, lots of potential, great ceilings. My hope for them is that they just stay injury free. And I'd say right now, looking at guys, look, you can have the freak situations, but looking at guys who look like they could be injury averse, technique-wise, I would probably say Colin stands out. Uh, Sung J.M. stands out from that point of view. Now, I'm not discounting Victor Hovland. I mean, he's, he's generational. Matthew Wolf has got a whole bunch of swagger. I think he's got a lot of growing up still to do. And he's got lots of weapons and stuff. And and I mean, it's a it, it, we, we're crazy lucky right now because there's so much talent. When we look at talent, how about zeroing down to John Rahm and JT? Of those two, oh, they, oh, they're old now, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> well, they are, yeah. Uh, if you looked at just those two, who would you predict would have the bigger career when it comes to major wins? Oh, goodness. Well, look, to me, and I say this to everybody because. You know, how many folks have made the mistake of giving Tiger the major championship record a few years ago when he looked unbeatable? Remember that, lad? 
You know, so for me, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. So right now I'm like, JT's got one. <laughs> so, 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 so one is better than none with the potential of winning a lot. Um, but they both have the capability of winning a bunch. Um, I, I think right now, I would say Justin is maybe a whisker more complete. And that's not physically. I, I just think mentally and emotionally, he's figured it out. John is still working on that stuff, in my opinion. He's admitted as such, and you can see the fire burns bright. But I get the sense that when he breaks through and wins one, the floodgates may open. But then again, I say that with a lot of circumspection because I know great players that have only won. Davis Love, um, Justin Rose, the, the Fred, list Couples. Is, Fred Couples, the list is endless. So. So, so I'm, I'm loath to give away major championships because there's only four in a year and they're tough to win and it's where all the greatest golfers assemble. And, you know, you've got to be good and things have got to go your way. And you can run your personal best and, and, and finish runner-up. So, so I'd say right now I give JT the edge because he has the one. Well, you mentioned Tiger Woods when we were just talking about major championships then. Of course, when your brother Trevor won the Masters in 2008, that was the era when we were probably thinking, oh God, I mean, Tiger's going to win umpteen majors, 20 plus. Um, so my question to you though, with Tiger, as, as we look at him here recently, saw him at Memorial, you saw him, of course, PGA, and then this week, what has stood out to you as you've seen Tiger Woods on site at these events? I, what stood out really is Tiger's playing small ball. Um, you know, to use a baseball analogy, when he came back from some of the injuries, all of the comments were, well, I've got my pop back and I've got my speed up. And it was all trying to play this big bomber game, like trying to hang with the Dustin Johnsons and the Rory's and now the Brassons of the world. But now Tiger's still got plenty of ammunition off the tee, but he's swinging in a measured manner. He looks like he's playing a game where he's trying to set his, the strongest part of his game up. And to me, the strongest part of his game is he's just a sensational medium iron player and always has been. And he will wear you out with a six, seven iron all day long. And, and if he puts himself in play, he's giving himself the leg up. And I, I think that stands out, you know, that he's playing not an old guy's game. He's still long, but he's just not trying to swing for the fences. And then what also stands out is that the, schedule, the scheduling stands out to me because he's so gifted and he's, he's a one-of-a-kind, he's a millennial sort of a player. But against these kids nowadays that are playing week in, week, in, week out and are, are sort of swinging for the fences, you can't come in once every four weeks and expect to compete. It just isn't the thing. A secretariat wouldn't win even if, if secretariat was lightly run. You know, there's a difference for, for the thoroughbred to just be able to run with open air in front of you. But when you get out the gate, you get jostled a bit and you get a ball and a divot and, and people are bumping into you. And to you take the horse riding analogy, you get boxed in and you're on the corner. You know, the horse that's been running a while, you know, they can figure their way out there and get through the bump and grind. And there's a lot of that in tournaments. And, and Tiger, when he was winning, was the ultimate at sort of surviving for a while and thriving and surviving and winning the war of attrition. And that to me is a function of playing. So, so I'm keen to see now where there might be a stretch of golf, really how things transpire because physically he looks fine to me. Hmm. Well, you say a stretch of golf, of course, we've got Olympia fields coming up the BMW championship where we know we're going to see tiger next. 
And then, of course, who knows about Tour Championship, but then the U.S. Open, of course, is a big one. Uh, so many of us are looking forward to that. What does Tiger need to do to get himself in a position where you think he's really ready to nab that U.S. Open title? You know, he'll, to use a Tigerism, he will say, I'm just going to clean up rounds. Um, I think he's driving the ball fine. He, he's driving the ball well enough to, to contend at the U.S. Open, certainly, even though it's a big golf course in Wingfoot. I feel like for Woods, just one or two fewer short sides. You know, when you miss a green, make sure you miss a green in a place where you can play a little bit. In, and then, you know, if, if you miss it on the short side less, the chances of you pitching it in there tighter and leaving yourself four feet instead of eight feet, for your mistakes, you know, that's the way you clean up rounds. So, so I think it might just be a little shot selection and then also a little bit of, you know, again, playing under pressure. So you're aware of, you know, what have I got today and, and, and what's my decision-making going to be as a result? Because every day is different. And some days it might be coming out the middle of the barrel and other times it isn't. And then the golfer who's playing can sort of adjust on the fly and bob and weave and such. So, so I think it's for Woods. It's, it's not the driver. I just think it's one or two less short sides, one or two more saves. And all of a sudden you turn that 71 into 69 in the major, that goes a long, long way. Yeah, definitely. Well, and that being the major of the U.S. Open, he played pretty well on Sunday and, and look, got some good form together. What did you take away from his play on Sunday? And then what, how does it look as we go to Olympia Fields for the playoffs here? Well, what I take away is, you know, he made Rory look pedestrian. And, and, and McElroy is one of the leading golfers in the game right now. And I say pedestrian with all sorts of respect because – Rory is one of those that he'll turn your head when he hits a golf ball. Now he's struggling a little bit and it looks like he's trying to force the issue, but they go out together and Tiger dusted him pretty handily today. And I don't care who you are, that's got to put a little charge in your step. You know, if you go out and you shoot 66 and a guy who was the number one golfer in the world just a few weeks ago, you, you beat him pretty handily. So, so I think for Woods, there's maybe a little confidence he can draw from that. And today he looked pretty sharp. You know, 66 was a good score. Uh, not if you're Dustin Johnson, but 66 was good around there. And this was the kind of place where it was there to be had if you were putting the ball in the right place, but it was going to bite you if you got in the wrong sides of some of the holes and with a fescue rough and bunkering if you missed in the wrong places. So it, it was a good round and a lot to build on for him. Hmm, definitely. And you also mentioned Rory, who is such a huge part of our game right now. I believe, I'll have to check the stats here, but he's going for the first person ever to win three FedEx Cups if he does it here. Um, this year, I believe, because he had won it already in 2016. He won it last year. So this is some pretty historic stuff when it comes to PGA Tour history. What do you make of what he really needs to work on here? What do you expect from him these next couple of weeks? Well, First off, East Lake's like a personal playground for a guy. I mean, just the, the way the golf course sets up, it just loves the driver. A lot of the holes are long and straight out in front of you. And, and a lot of that golf course sort of likes a draw shot in many of the holes. And so he can just swing for the fences over there. And, and he's had lots of success on the green. So I feel like if he gets himself to East Lake in a decent position, he's a threat, even with his B game. Uh, but so for me, the key is for Rory to get to Olympia Fields you know, put the ball in play a little bit more, more off the tee. 
But I still think, even though the driver was subpar by his lofty standards this week, Rory McIlroy goes, in my opinion, as the flat stick goes. You know, everyone will talk about how virtuoso he is off the tee. But you know, that's first down. And golf, to me, is a third down game. And if you're good on shot number three, you're going to make lots of threes. And if you make lots of threes, you're making lots of rounds in the 60s. So I don't care how good you drive it. I think Rory needs to really iron out whatever the putting woes are. We, I'm seeing him change putters, so clearly he's searching. So hopefully they can get a little mojo on the greens in the Chicago land area. He can get himself a good finish there, advance himself in the FedEx Cup ranking, so he's a little closer. So by that staggered start, he's not spotting whoever it is too big a lead. And then I feel like he could still be a threat. Definitely a threat for sure. Um, when you look at the FedEx Cup and who might win the whole thing, here we are. We're still tournament, two tournaments from it really being finished. But in my opinion, I've always said Daniel Berger, from the onset of these playoffs, I really feel like his self-confidence, his college coach Trey Jones told me that as a college kid, he, he was talking about winning, not contending, winning majors, winning big events as an 18, 19, 20-year-old. He's my pick to win the FedEx Cup this year. I like his confidence. Who, who is your pick at this moment to win the FedEx Cup? Well, that, that's a hard question. I, I need to look at the rankings. I don't know what they are after Boston. Obviously, the way DJ is going right now, um, you know, you've got to get in front of Dustin. But Justin Thomas, he's proven to us, like last year he won the BMW at a canter, basically. So he's proved to us he can play well in the Chicagoland area. He's played well at Eastlake. So even though Dustin's the front runner, I still sort of hand the edge to Justin Thomas a little bit. But I like the, Dust, I like the uh, Daniel Berger pick. Um, look, the beauty of this thing is that points are, I thought they were quadrupled. They used to be. Points are tripled. So one win and all of a sudden, you vault yourself to the top of the pile over there. And there are many, many guys that are still in good shape. I mean, DeChambeau is still a threat. Uh, Rory, I feel like, is still a threat. Um, but, but I would say I, I give the edge to Justin Thomas right now. Moment, yeah. And just for our update, as we speak, Dustin Johnson, number one, Justin Thomas, two, Webb Simpson, three. You've mentioned Webb, of course, RBC winner. <laughs> uh, number four, Daniel Berger. Number five, Colin Morikawa. Number six, Harris English makes that big jump. Number Ooh. seven, Bryson DeChambeau. M is eight. Rom is nine. And Patrick Reed is 10. <laughs> so that's how, at the moment, how, how it looks. The thing is, Garrett, it's going to be, it's going to be massively exciting. I love Eastlake. I mean, it's a great golf course. I love that event. Everything about it is cool. And I, we're going to have a start field. And the beauty about it is a lot of those guys are playing well. All those guys in the top 10, they didn't amass all these points. Maybe Sung J.M., of those guys you reference, but all the rest of them are playing pretty well. And so they're coming in there with good form. So it just could be a fiesta in Atlanta in a few days time. I love that enthusiasm. Speaking of Atlanta and speaking of all your work, when we think about you, you're, you're going to go back to BGA tour live as I believe you said for Atlanta. There are so many people you've come across, Mark, because of this game of golf. And, and my podcast is called Beyond the Clubhouse. It's about the friendships, the relationships that, that we all make from the game. Think about it. You're coming from South Africa. Your brother, of course, wins the Masters. You have met so many people 
over these last 15, 20 years, 19 years, right, at Columbus State that you spent. Wow. 2001, I've lost count. <laughs> yeah. So think yeah. about all, all these people that you've met from the states here and, and the new families, if you will, with your college family there. Who really, what people come to mind when you think about the lasting friendships of our game? Oh, goodness. That's such a good question. It's hard to separate anybody. I mean, I mean all, all I could basically share there is to say that uh, there's a whole bunch of serendipity that has graced my path before I've, wherever I've went and before I've got there. And, and, and folks have been so great. And, and as I look back on everything now, golf is just so grand to think about well, the United States even too, but, but to think of the fact that some young guy from South Africa can show up in America as a college coach, have some success, all of a sudden end up on radio, um, and then from there, next thing, be working for CBS. It's sort of hard to fathom, really. And, and there's so many folks that have had an influence on this, and they all know who they are. Um, so, I mean, there's been hundreds and hundreds of folks along the way that have had an input uh, and a... Uh, and an influence on who I am and what's going on. So hard to pick, but it's just been a, it's a, been a fantastic, it's been an odyssey really for me, to be honest. Yeah. Just this, this journey here covering the pro game. Cause I know you mentioned radio 2012, you started yeah. at Greenbrier, I want to say, right? Yes. West Virginia. <laughs> That's a good memory there. Yeah. I'll never forget. Um, it was on a whim that they gave me a go. I was on Matt Adams uh, radio show, you know, one Tuesday morning and it was winter in Connecticut where he was. And he said to me, he goes, okay, last question. Um, we snowbound in Connecticut. What tip can you give us? And so I gave a tip, a drill that you, they could do inside. And that turned into another 30 minutes on the show, taking calls from people. And Dominic, his producer said to me after he goes, well, you sound cool and you know, you should try this. And I was like, well, how? And he goes, I'll get you in touch with David Logue from the tour. And, and Dave gave me a go at Greenbrier, which I was in South Africa right before that on a family vacation. And something made me check my email. It was an email from David going, we have an opening, come and join us. And I'd never done live radio ever. Um, and so they nursed me through there, um, the play-by-play -play stuff. And I ended up having the winner there. Um, I'm, trying to, I'm losing track of it now. I know that. Um, well, we know Stuart Appleby won in 2010. I'm trying to think. Stallings won in 2011. Uh, yeah, there was a playoff. I, I'm, I'm so bad. I'm having Would a senior. Would it been Ted Potter Jr. in 12? Yeah, it was Ted. And he was in a playoff with a guy called Troy, Troy something, not Troy Merritt, not Troy Cook. But there was a playoff, and I had had them both. I brought them both in because Bill Rosinski was on the final group, I think, and Doug Bell. They both doyens of radio announcing. I was working alongside them. And all of a sudden, I have the two guys that post and get in the playoff. But I remember being there and what a – you know, you talk of influences in my life, how helpful Bill Rosinski was and how great Doug Bell were and, and how supportive they've been, really, to, to think of this young upstart joining them. And all of a sudden, how many years later – I'm working for CBS and they're still on the radio crew. So I'm thankful to Dave and I'm thankful for the radio crew. And from that, it turned into PGA Tour Live and Greg Hopfe and Chris Sinclair over there. Have been, they've been so great. And I mean, like I said, there've been hundreds of people 
And it's, it's crazy to believe that I started in radio, not knowing what the heck I was doing, but it turned out okay, thankfully. And just it turned out okay. He's being humble here. My audience needs to know, Mark Immelman has a great podcast called On The Mark. What is it, three, three million downloads at this point? Or at least north of two and a half. Yeah, we're on the doorstep of three million. I mean, it's, it's crazy. It, it, it started Dave Logue, you know, they, it started as a, ma- a magazine streaming show there that lasted for one year, but it was a bad time. And then he called up and he said, we're going, um, we're going on demand. Will you do a podcast? And I was like, by all means, what do I do? And so, so we recorded nothing. The first podcast we released got like three downloads and that steadily grew. And the neat thing about it was, you know, as a young golf instructor coming up, I was pretty successful but I was never on the front of magazines. And so you never really make it, you know? And so I wanted to give a voice to young instructors and bright minds around the industry. And that's how we began. And the neat thing about the podcast was like, now I get to expose the brightest minds in the game to folks anywhere in the world who probably will never get a chance of having a lesson with them. And I bring on PGA tour professionals and stuff. So everybody's winning. And, and I'm just in the middle of this whim where, where I'm like still a teacher able to bring great information to people and hopefully help them play better golf. And I love that part of it too. A big part of my show is, is helping the weekend hackers to play better golf. And you as a coach, I, my, my next couple of questions are about that. When we get to the range and we get ready for a Saturday round, maybe we've only got 15, 20 minutes to get warmed up and, we don't play as much as we'd like, but what would you suggest we focus on in our pre-round warm-up there? Well, I'll tell a quick story from this evening. Um, so we get back out there after the rain delay, and Louis, I had Louis Wersthausen's group alongside Scotty Scheffler. And Louis had like 220-plus to the green. And in his warm-up, they had like five minutes to warm-up. And apparently he and his caddy Phil race out there, and they figure it's a three-iron that they're going to have to hit to the green, and he had to make a birdie to advance. And Louis tells me, after he's hit this magnificent three-iron into the middle of the green, he goes, I get on the range and I decide I'm going to hit just a few three-irons like Tom Watson. He goes, the first one I hit so fat, I cover myself in mud. He goes, and it didn't get much better. But he gets out there and he just whips the three-iron on the green, two putts for birdie, all's well that ends well. So with, with a nod to Louis Wurstes, and I will say with limited time, make sure you stretch adequately. And then just try and hit the shots you're going to see on the first three holes. So if you're going to hit a driver, hit a driver or two. If you'll hit a seven iron, hit a seven iron or two. You'll obviously hit a few wedges, hit one or two of those. So just touch the, the examinations you're likely to get early in the round. So you're sort of prepared for those. And if you deal with those properly, that'll kind of get the confidence going a little bit so you can play your way into the rest of the round. So, so do what you're going to do early. A bunker shot, a chip, a putt, you know, one or two drives. And, and at least you'll sort of have crammed for your examination a bit better. Well, mentioning bunker shots and, and doing that early, is there anything in particular, any drills that you'd suggest in the bunker that can kind of get our confidence going before we've got to take it on on the course? Yeah, I, I don't even think you need to hit a golf ball. I mean, I learned this from Gary Player. Just draw a line in the sand, vertical away from you, and address the line so it's sort of underneath the middle of your body. And, you know, get the weight, the pressure in your feet right so it's a bit more forwards. And then make a swing and try and strike the line. Try and enter the sand on that line. So the divot is going towards the target side of the line. 
If you hit the sand before the line, your body's too far back. If you don't hit the line, your body's too high up. If you hit way left, your body's too far left. So just find the base of your arc and hit the sand and try and toss the sand out of the bunker with your golf club, obviously. And if you see the club land on the line once or twice, then you know, okay, I've got the base of the arc dialed in. If I get the ball an inch left of that in my address, I've just got to hit that line and the sand will do the rest. So again, don't even need to hit golf balls. Hit that line a few times consistently and you'll do worlds for your bunker player. Oh, that's helpful stuff, man. You mentioned chipping just a minute ago. Of course, we're all going to be missing greens, all of us weekend hackers. So what can we do to really kind of settle our mind and get, get us in the right place before we get on that course for the chipping? You know, this is going to sound trite, but I would say use less loft. I think too many club golfers are using clubs that are too lofted because they see Phil with 64 degrees and whoever. I mean, the, the more loft you have, the more speed you need. And, and a lot of golfers sadly create speed with too much wrist action. So, so think of Steve Stricker. You know, very little wrist action. You know, use your sand wedge or your gap wedge or whatever. Just open the face a little bit and make a, a rhythmic pendulum sort of an action with a little, with a narrow stance and the pressure forward. Eliminate loft as far as you can. One of the great chippers of all time, a guy I was fortunate to work with for five, six years when he turned 50, was Larry Myers. And nice, to yeah. this day, he doesn't carry a love wedge. And he, pro he was the architect of probably the greatest chip shot in the history of our game on the 11th of Augusta National. So if, if, if 56 is the most Larry carries, I advise that most folks do the same. Yeah. I mean, it reminds me when I asked um, Jeff Ogilvy about chipping, what we should do for amateurs. He says he doesn't even go. He suggests don't go below 52. It's because so much loft can be a... Preaching. It's a, you know, it's a lot of uh, firepower for us to deal with. Yeah, it's, it's dangerous to use too much loft. Look, it's cool to hit these flighted balls, but it's easier to judge distance by like forwards, a little check and then release as opposed to high, then down and not knowing for sure what the first bounce is going to do. Definitely. Well, you mentioned Augusta National. What a special place that I'd imagine that has to be for you. When you get there, of course, you've, done some work for CBS there in the past, the Masters on the range, um, and, and just so much your brother winning there. What, what do you really look forward to the most when you get there? And what uh, do you think about Augusta a lot when you're at home? Um, I do. I mean, I live in Georgia. So anywhere you live in Georgia, Augusta National is kind of part of the, the state and who we are. Um, but what I think about when I get to Augusta National is just, just all the tradition and the history of the place. I'm a rabid Bob Jones fan. I always have been. And so getting back there is always special. You know, it's always nice to reminisce a little bit from 2008 when Trevor won. And, and so for me, the tradition's great, you know, to get there and just to walk around the golf course and kind of, you know, revisit things, events, shots, hits. Uh, that, that's always my favorite. And, and, and catching up with some of the membership is always nice. You know, I'm fortunate to know a few folks over there. And, and so it's just a special place all around. Uh, and, but I would say the main thing for me is just kind of reminiscing about times I've gotten to spend there. Hmm. What's your lowest round that you ever played there at Augusta? <laughs> I've shot 73. That's the best of me. Yeah. Who, who are you playing with that day? Uh, you know, it was... I was a member, obviously, and 
I think my brother may have been along. I just remember the 73 was pretty special. It's great stuff, man. Um, as we wrap up here, obviously, Augusta, there's so many great places. When we get to Augusta this time, it's going to be the fall. Uh, is there anything about that that you're going to be looking at differently? Like, is, is it going to favor a certain player over others? Um, that time of the year in Georgia, to me, the golf course is always great. You know, late October, early November. But the thing about it is it's late, late October, November's blustery and breezy that time of the year. Golf courses get fast and firm. So you might see some of that. But you'll see winds and the winds change and the winds tend to come more out of the north, which means like a whole night, like number one is going to play into the wind. And that's just, that thing's a beast, that whole on a calm day. But if you're playing one into a chilly breeze early in the morning, it just becomes downright nasty. So I, I think the course will play fast. The course will be beautiful. It'll be nice and firm underfoot unless you get some aberration of weather. But, but you'll see wind playing more of a factor. And so I think, I think par will be a good score. Now, you never know because, you know, not that they can control the golf course, but they can control firmness and stuff like that. And they can set flags in whole locations that accept shots and such. But if, if, if the weather remains true to the patterns normally in Georgia at that time of the year, it'll be breezy and firm and, and it'll be a heck of a test. Definitely. Quick rapid fire with you. Who's your all-time favorite band with music? <laughs> Wow. Uh, if I had to, it's hard to separate, but it's probably a toss-up between Queen, Metallica, and you know what? I really like Shinedown. <laughs> so it's a bit eclectic there, but anything rock and roll is good for me. Showing your age range there with that. I love it. Uh, what about favorite movie? What, what, what's one of your favorites or most inspirational movie you like to watch? Favorite and inspirational Caddyshack. <laughs> love Caddyshack just what, what about Caddyshack I don't know the characters and the story and I'm a golf junkie I, can't, I, 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 I even laugh if you had to recite some line from Caddyshack I'm going to laugh at you so it just it tickles my fancy gotcha uh, what about um, Netflix Amazon Prime what, what tends to be your go-to show that you like to binge watch you know what? I, I just got into that stuff recently um, because of colleagues of mine. They're like, you should watch that. And you should watch this and you should watch that. And, and, and there was a series my wife, Tracy, and I got into called Homeland. that was pretty good. But, but I'm not really a, a binge watching sort of a guy. I, I'm more likely just to sort of, you know, watch the news or read or, or, or watch, you know, now that we have some sport on TV. So I, I really enjoyed Homeland. Um, Breaking Bad was sort of fun. And, and I, oh, I, oh, I loved um, Narcos, the first one. Um, the, the one, the Columbia one, whatever that was. So, so I enjoyed those. Yeah, those are some classics already. Uh, what you mentioned sporting events. What sporting event really sticks out to you that you've attended live that wasn't a golf event? One of your favorites ever? Um, a couple. You know, being from South Africa, rugby is a big thing for us. Uh, and so I went to the test match in Twickenham in London, uh, South Africa versus England. That was wild. Um, went to another t test there between South Africa and Australia. And there's always a big rivalry between the, the Sanzar countries, which is South Africa, New Zealand, um, Australia. Um, so two test matches there. And then I went, um, uh, I watched Arantxa Sanchez Vicario play a centre court at Wimbledon. You know, it was way back in the day. I'm dating myself, but, but that was pretty special. I mean, both those were kind of bucket list items for me. 
Wimbledon's one of the great places in all of sports, so I, I can empathize with that. Oh, and then any Falcons football game in Mercedes in, in Atlanta. <laughs> you love your Falcons, man. I do. I do. Well, great stuff, Mark. Come on, you being a, a great guest here, and thanks for coming on with the on Beyond the Clubhouse podcast with me today. Uh, a very busy Sunday for you, wrapping up, but uh, enjoy the time, man. Uh, it was a pleasure to be with you. I appreciate you. I appreciate everything you do. Um, you're, you're busier than I am, I, I think. And, and keep up the great work. It's, it's nice that you've got a podcast out and you're bringing good guests to people. Cheers. All the best. All right. My thanks to Mark Immelman for the time there. I enjoyed the chat and I hope you did too. I think he had a lot of good tips there. Of course, he's been at this coach golf coaching thing for many decades and he's just really good with people. I, I have to rave about, about Mark. I've seen him. He connects with people, whether he's teaching or I've seen him at Phoenix Open, just really connecting with Patrick Reed and Jordan Spieth and guys, you know, getting one-on-one stuff for radio on the Wednesday before, you know, getting those hole-by-hole analysis. But but not just that. He just has a really good way of striking up conversations with them and, and, and really getting them to engage and, and, and bring their guard down with him. He's just an awesome personality, a very genuine guy. And I think it really comes across in the broadcast when you hear him on CBS Sports, when you hear him on PGA Tour Live. It just, that's Mark, man. I mean, what you see and what you hear is what you get. And, and I, I love it. Hope you guys uh, like it too. So that was Mark. And I appreciated his time, of course. And listen, always enjoy any questions you guys have as we look to these future guests coming up. There's There's some really big weeks on the PGA Tour here. Of course, playoffs finishing up these next couple weeks in Chicago, Olympia Fields, and then of course, East Lake for the finish. Should be awesome. So anyway, you can follow me on Twitter at Johnston Garrett. Of course, at Beyond Clubhouse on Twitter as well. Facebook, Garrett Johnston, and Beyond the Clubhouse. We have a page there. You can like that page. I'd appreciate those likes. And also, Instagram, Garrett Johnston Golf. It should be a great next couple weeks. BMW Championship, one of my favorite tournaments of the year. So many guys, there's a lot of underdog possibilities of guys trying to get into that top 30. If you haven't won and gotten into the Masters that way, you can get there through getting to the top 30. It's such an awesome way. We've seen it with Tony Finau in the past. It's been an awesome way to get in. NBC and Golf Channel, of course, taking over, uh, the taking the reins from CBS. And Dan Hicks, of course, Paul Azinger, those guys, it's been five-plus months since they've been on. I think the Players' Championship was the last time we saw them on the air at a PGA Tour event. So a lot to look forward to. Those, are, I, I, really, I like both teams. I think CBS does a good job. They had a, a long stretch there of 11 weeks. And then, of course, NBC, those guys are back at it again. Anyway, thanks for joining me on Beyond the Clubhouse for this edition. And we'll catch up with you guys again soon.